And now with me on this episode of Miami Miked Up, uh, you know him as the co-host of Locked on Heat alongside David Ramil. He's the editor-in-chief of All You Can Heat, which I do love as a pun. Uh, he's also got bylines in the Miami Herald, The Ringer, and most importantly, a fellow UCF Knight. Let's be real. That's that's the Let's most go, important go part Knights. of the, the resume here. Uh, <laughs> Wes Goldberg joins me on today's episode. Uh, well overdue to have you here on Miami Mic'd Up. Super excited that you're here. Thanks, Wes, for, for taking some time uh, to record on this Thursday evening before a Friday release of Miami Mic'd Up. I love it. Short turnaround. That's how we do it here in the business. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Of course. Uh, Got to start with you um, in the place we always start this podcast, which is outside of work. All of these things that <laughs> you've got going on work-wise. What's something recently outside of work that has brought you joy? So the first thing I thought of uh, when I knew you were going to ask me this question <laughs> was the Miami Dolphins, which doesn't really count as out- I don't know that that, that you know what I mean? Just because I don't have to write game stories or anything off of it. Right. Um, so I, I get that more though. Sports. That makes sense. And then I'm like, well, now that doesn't bring me joy because now I'm realizing I have no hobbies outside of sports and this is all I do. So I don't know. I don't really know. Uh, no, honestly, the thing that brings me joy, I did also just uh, celebrate my one year anniversary uh, married to my wife and, and that's something that was really special to us and we just got tattoos to commemorate cool. it. So that was that was a lot of fun. Oh man, what's the tattoo? Can you explain the just significance her face of it? On my butt. Yes. So, yeah. I yeah, yeah. incredible. I <laughs> I love it. I'm into it. I think that's a great idea. I'm might steal it. That's tremendous. Uh congratulations on your one year anniversary. That's that's awesome. Um all right. So uh, normally I would say let's get right into the basketball, but I actually mm. I'm with you. I'm going to start with your your path to get here to covering the heat. Um, because as a fellow like hometown kid who has now had the opportunity to cover his hometown team, uh, I think that, that the journey to get here is so interesting. And I think a lot of people find that interesting because so many people want to be in the position that, that essentially you and I are, are both in here of, of getting to cover the teams that we love and, and grew up watching. So for you, you know, when did you fall in love with sports and know, okay, I'm someone who wants to get into sports media. Like, this is my passion. This is what I want to right. explore. So I would say I was reading newspapers growing up, um, just going straight to the sports section, and I was obsessed with, like, the NFL stats. This was yeah. uh, prime Ricky Williams leading the league in rushing okay. for the Dolphins, and so I just okay. tracked it uh, week to week. Um, that was also back in the day where you learned about like injuries and trades via newspaper in the right. mornings mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. So I would read the stories, read the articles, and I was just obsessed with the Dolphins and the Miami Heat and the Miami Hurricanes and all those teams growing mm-hmm. up uh, and the Florida Marlins at the time. And so, yeah, I would say that the 2003 World Series for the Marlins yep. and then and then Dwayne Wade and the Miami Heat and and the start of the most successful stretch in Miami sports ever. Um, all that stuff kind of led me just more and more down the road to sports. And then in terms of choosing it as a career, like like making a decision, like I'm going to do this. I don't know that that ever really happened. Honestly, I just kind of kept doing it. Like I, mm-hmm. I never really thought, I just knew I liked talking about well, sports. Was there, was there like sports. a first, was there a first, um, you know, path that you took toward getting there? Like, was that something you were doing in in middle school, high school? Was high college school. the it first was, opportunity? Uh, a, friend of, a friend of mine just said, you know what you should do? You should join the newspaper staff yep. uh, going into junior year of high school at J.P. Taravella. 
And uh, I was like, that's that's weird. Why would I do that? And like more work, like that's an extracurricular club. Right. Like, I don't, that doesn't sound great. And she was like, no, it's cool. Cause like, you know, we have like pizza after school and stuff like, oh, okay. Well, you should have led with pizza. Right. And then Lead I with pizza jo- and I'm there. <laughs> and so I joined it and I became like the assistant sports editor two weeks into it uh, and got control of the back page. And then I just, I just, I literally just didn't stop. I did it uh, at UCF. I was a journalism major and uh, I just kept writing about sports. I kept consuming it and then started thinking about it in a different way. And I just literally have just never stopped doing it. I love that. And that it it takes always that one person sort of pushing you in the right direction. And yeah. you don't even realize how important that conversation is. It comes down to like, hey, do you want some pizza? And that sends you on a path toward, hey, this is going to be my career for the rest of my life. So I wonder, because as a fellow UCF Knight, you know, I think at the time that we both went there, the journalism program wasn't quite in the shape that it is right now. Um, That's not to say that it wasn't tremendous. Like I learned a lot at UCF and there was like hands-on learning for me, especially on the broadcast side. Mm -hmm. But it certainly wasn't known as, as Northwestern or Syracuse or one of these schools that produces what feels like 95% of sports media these days. And so I, I wonder, you know, were there any big hurdles for you off the bat in either getting into this business or you know I know you went out west to go cover the the Warriors you know was that just trying to kind of find your way in how did that path sort of start to come together for you it's a great question man I have the most non-traditional non-linear path in this thing that I've ever heard of and honestly I think the biggest obstacle for me was not really knowing that there was a path not really knowing what there was like if I had gone to a Syracuse or Northwestern, um, they probably would have been like, here, this is how you do it. You you get this degree. Maybe you get your master's You in, in print journalism. You work a high school beat for a newspaper, and you just do a killer job, and you work your way from there. And then maybe, yep. one, maybe one day you'll get to cover the NBA or, or a, major, a major beat. And nobody really told me that. I didn't mm. really know what I was doing, if I'm being honest. I was just very entrepreneurial, and I just kept grabbing stuff. I... Uh, I ended up doing a sports radio show at UCF, and I'm yep. not sure anybody Same. listened to it. I don't Same. even know. If, My was dad there a way to listen to that? I don't know. <laughs> right. I don't. I, I don't even know <laughs> if it was actually broadcast over the airwaves. I have no there idea. Was not, I did. I when I was there, I did Nightcast, which was like mm-hmm. the student-run internet radio. Yeah. So all right, there was a link. There was a I link was for the, people I, to listen. I, I was the sports director, and that oh, meant funny. nothing. Right. It was it was something I, I didn't do anything because I don't know that it was a real radio station. And I just did the show like Tuesdays and Thursdays for two uh-huh. hours and like literally just talking to myself like Colin Coward style. We did the exact same thing, man. <laughs> Sitting in a room by myself, talking to no one, playing, right. uh, coming up with the songs that I wanted to play going yes. into breaks because I was like, this means something and I like this song right now. Right. Like, completely understand what you're talking about here. I literally just used to bring my roommate in. I was like, can you just sit here and just listen to me talk? Like, it's awesome though, just right? Cause, but those reps are, are highly yes. valuable, you know, and that that's such a key part of this is, is, and I do think that like blank slate that was available at a place like UCF did mm-hmm. kind of give you an opportunity to get those reps in a way. Like I know a lot of my friends that went to UF's J school yes. had to sort of, it, it was like going to Alabama as a running back and having to kind of wait your turn because you didn't get those hands-on opportunities right away because you were waiting for the other superstar journalism student to graduate. We're here. It's like, all right, I'm just going to go in and I'm just like at JP Taravella where you're the sports editor in two weeks. It's okay. Right. Yeah, sure. I have a 
twice weekly two hour radio show that I can do whatever I want and get comfortable speaking on mic, even if it's to no audience. It's why I tell people now, people are like, hey, how do I get into it? And I was like, just do it. Just yep. do it. Just go do it. It doesn't matter where you do it. I, I started like a million blogs that never did anything. And you just do it. And um, and you're so right about the reps. Like the thing I appreciated about UCF is you're by, you know, a real city in Orlando. No disrespect to Gainesville, uh, mm-hmm. but a little bit. Yeah, uh, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. But uh, it's a real like downtown area. And the internships were amazing. Like, yep. uh, you know, I interned at the Orlando Business Journal, a bunch of other places, local TV stations, of which there were several to pick from. Yep. There were a bunch of magazines that people worked at, like real hands-on experience, real interviewing, real doing stuff. And then our student paper uh, which unfortunately is not around anymore. Yep. Um, uh, I was able to write pretty much right away. Uh, it was, you know, the women's basketball beat I started on and then uh, ended up getting a column and ended up writing features for them. And um, that was so much fun. And when I got the columnist job, I was like, this is something I'm good at. This is something mm. I can do. Um, I remember my best column was when I wrote that instead of people saying that you need to fire George O'Leary, you should write, they should build him a statue. <laughs> And that well, happened. Well, you predicted the future. And that you happened. Predicted so the future. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and that was uh, my sports editor at the time was like, "Are you sure you want to run this?" And I was like, "Run that, baby. Let's go." Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't like know that I agree that, with you, by the way, but you know, that's yeah. that's revisionist history. As well. <laughs> go read the column. I make a good <laughs> point. Uh, it's. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you could find anymore, but no, that the point you make about getting the reps is so important, and and I I don't think I would be where. I am today if I, and who knows, but I really do treasure and value those, the reps that I was able to get for three years, basically Mm. at UCF. And I, I I don't think you get that at a lot of other programs. No, I definitely don't. I tell people all all the time, kind of how much this is just about doing it. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's interesting that, you know, you talk about having sort of a a non-traditional path. I mean, same, like I, I, came back down here, found a job as an associate producer at at a local TV station. And what everyone said was do that for six months and then that will build your resume enough. Because by the way, I got rejected from all the other jobs I applied to. Like that's why I ended up there and, and I moved home for a few months jobless and got that job. And everyone said, all right, and then you'll go to whatever tiny market and you'll Mm -hmm. be a weekend anchor as a sports anchor for a year and a half and then you'll right. go to your mid-sized market and that's how and it was sort of these cut and dry versions which by the way and i mention this all the time there are plenty of people who i know who did it that way and they're very successful but i knew in the same way that you did not for me i wanted to be in a, in a place that i wanted to be i wanted to to glom on to whatever opportunities i could you know thanks to yeah. and i'll give ethan skolnick a shout out like became a part of five reasons as someone who technically had no experience at the time and was then working with Craig Mish, who was a a mm. solidified reporter and had an opportunity to build my credibility that way. And I think that what it all came down to looking back is it's because I had some of those reps in college because of this blank space where in some ways I was more experienced than the average kid coming out of school, even if the resume didn't necessarily reflect that. And so when given the opportunity to succeed, you know, it's like, (laughs) it sounds very lame. And, and as someone who comes from a bit of privilege, it also sounds very silly, but like the way that Haywood Highsmith, and we talked about this on, on last podcast with Amy Otterbert, the way that he says, like, I took the stairs, I didn't take the elevator. Like in, from a journalism perspective, 
the kids who didn't go to the major J schools kind of took the stairs because you had to yep. get the reps in a separate way. And so I think it's really interesting. And, and with you, you know, you, you did go and, and cover the Warriors. Um, I, I want to know what's kind of the biggest difference mm. in having covered the Warriors being out there during a, a wildly successful time and then coming back down here to Miami to cover your hometown team and another wildly successful time. You're clearly a, a good luck charm to to these franchises. So I'm not. Uh, I actually, when I got the Warriors job officially, uh, I was covering the Warriors like freelance basis. But I worked when I worked when I got the newspaper gig. That's when uh, Steph Curry broke his hand. Oh no! And so the the two years that the the Warriors were in the lottery were my years. So I actually get blamed. Never for that mind. Quite I blame you. I can't even believe. And it. I honestly, man, I was a little afraid that when I got back to Miami, I was gonna be like, this something's gonna go, something's <laughs> gonna happen. Like Jimmy Butler's gonna break his hip. I don't know right, what's going to happen. Right. And it's going to be my fault. And um, fortunately, it didn't happen. They got the number one seed and almost made it to the NBA Finals. But mm -hmm. um, the biggest difference, I think, so I, I went out to California and ended up doing a bunch of different things. And that's really when it got nonlinear. And we don't need to dive into all that for mm -hmm. time reasons if you don't want to. But uh, ended up eventually getting the newspaper job. And one thing I will say is the the way that the industry is working, like, one of the reasons I decided not to just, I worked for the newspaper when I got out there, then let, then quit the newspaper to do blogging and podcasting and stuff because mm -hmm. that newspaper had actually hired a former blogger to take on the Warriors job and didn't give it to anybody internally. And I was like, okay, well, that's meaningful. So I'm like, I'm just going to go do that stuff and get the reps elsewhere and then ended up coming back and then being the Warriors writer for that newspaper that I had quit when I was working on the high school beat for a few months. So uh, I get the Warriors gig. And I loved it. And there's nothing that trained. And that was sort of like my when LeBron says when he came down to Miami for four years and that was his college and he learned what it is that it takes to be to do what he does at a high level. That was the newspaper in California for me. And then I came home. You know, I mm. came back to my Akron, Ohio. I love that. And, and so um, you're writing several articles a day. You're, you're in a super competitive market in the Bay Area. And yeah. and there's nothing like being hungry and competitive in that market and to, to, to force you to get better. But I realized after a while, A, I didn't want to do the beat writer job. I never really wanted to do the beat writer job. That was never a goal of mine. I just sort of like it was there. And it, I shouldn't say it was there and they gave it to me. Like it just made sense for me at the time. But right. um, after after a few years of doing it, I was like, I don't I don't want this life. You know, I don't want the, the on the road thing. I don't want all that. And um, also newspapers don't pay anything. And, and that was yeah. going to be a problem. And, and eventually I wanted to get back to South Florida. Like I, that was always the plan. I knew that for sure. Um so that was the first reason. And then the second reason was I kind of felt like I was becoming an objective journalist and I sort of hated that. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't having fun watching basketball anymore. Right. Right. And uh, and I was always sort of being chided back uh, back in the Bay Area for being a, a closet heat fan. And I was like, there's nothing closeted here. Yeah, I'm like, a heat I, fan. Right. Yeah, I was just a heat fan. And I kind of made that like a, a running joke uh, on the beat. But uh, I was like, you know what? I'm going to move back. I'm, I, I knew eventually I would move back to South Florida. And then to loop it back to what you first asked me, I mm -hmm. met my now wife. And, and it was a good reason to move back to South Florida at the time during the pandemic. And so I just did it. And I, again, quit the newspaper for a second time. And, uh, but that's a risky up, uh, move, man. And, and yeah. to have success with it. Like to, yeah. to on multiple occasions sort of take your own destiny into your own hands and say, this is what I want. This is what I want to do, whether it was a decision to leave a place, whether it was mm -hmm. a decision not to take a job. I think that that's a really valuable lesson for anybody listening to this who's interested in getting into this business is 
make the decisions that are right for you. Don't let anybody sort of plot out your path for you because especially with the way that it's so ever changing, if you yes. would have told either of us in in right. in 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 college, hey, you're going to be a podcaster for a living. Right. I'd have been like, what are you talking about? No, it doesn't I'm make not. any sense. Right. No, no way. Like, no way. If you asked me two years ago if I right. would be a podcast would be my main source of income, I'd be like, we're probably 10 years away from that. And then, right. and then, and then it was here. Right. Um, and I think that's the big thing that, that is, is of note, which is like, if you're some kid in college right now listening to this, or some kid in high school, or even you're just starting in this business, like, whatever job you're going to have in five years, and God, I hate, God, I feel so old when I start talking like this because this is what they said to me <laughs> in college. But whatever job you're going to have in five years from now probably doesn't exist. And so, like I know for me, digital yeah. host and reporter at Bally Sports literally didn't exist right. five years ago. And so right. to be in this position now and to have that sort of be the thing that's helped me parlay into any of these other positions, it's just what you're talking about is a, is a testament to that sort of controlling your own destiny within this business which is it's a difficult thing to do because it means a lot of rejection it means sometimes little to no pay and it also means taking risks and that's not an easy thing to do i just tell people find something that you're passionate about and and not in like the cliche way but just something that you literally get excited to do because if right. you're not excited to do it you're not going to do it for for a long time and you're not going to do it when you're not making money and you're not going to do it when it's really hard and you're not going to do it when you're up at 3 a.m editing something or writing an article. You're just not going to do it if you're not excited, if it doesn't yep. make you happy. And the other thing is stay hungry, stay humble, just do the work, just do the work. Even if nobody sees it, just do the work. Uh, it's not about clout. It's not about Twitter followers. It's just right. do the work, just do the work. It really is. It's, it's all about those reps. And I think that actually really leads us to a pretty perfect conversation here because now it's time to talk about Tyler Hero. Uh, let's do our jobs, like what we're supposed to do, which is talk about the heat. Um, so, oh gosh, so many things to say about Tyler Hero, but let's start in the obvious spot, um, which is the injury on Wednesday night against the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I just kind of want to know your initial reaction. Um, for those who don't know, floater in the lane lands on Jaron Jackson Jr.'s uh, foot. A grade two ankle sprain is the diagnosis for Tyler Hero. He'll be walking around in a walking boot for the next 10 days. Um, and in about two weeks, he'll have an evaluation to figure out where to go from there. Um, a lot of the, the initial reports and reactions are this should be two to three weeks, which is what Tyler said, ironically, right after the game where he said it, it should be a couple of weeks. I just want to know your, your sort of initial reaction to the injury. Um, actually pretty positive. Uh, there's another version where that email comes through and it says Tyler Hero getting season ending surgery on his yep. ankle, right? Yep. That thing took a full 90 degree turn when it, it was happened. Nasty. And he didn't look great when it happened. He knew immediately that it was a problem. And he even said after the game, like I heard like a crunch and it's like, wow, that doesn't sound awesome. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, I was expecting way worse. The grade two is about as less of a grade. It's the littlest grade that it could be. And so, you know, even a grade three would have been four to six weeks. The fact that he could be back by the end of this month, maybe early December, is is crazy considering what it looks like. Also a lesson, uh, don't ever judge ankle sprains by what they look like. They all recover really weird, and it's so mm -hmm. weird, and I don't know how doctors do it. But, um, yeah, that, so first reaction was positive, and then obviously you start mapping out, okay, how long did the Heat have to go without Tyler Hero? Right. What can they do to survive without Tyler Hero? And then you kind of get into that whole thing, and so... 
They're eight of their next nine are on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, two weeks from now, when that reevaluation is supposed to happen, it's never really like exactly two weeks, but exactly right. two weeks would be Thanksgiving. So if we're thinking like maybe that weekend, the Heat are playing uh, the Knicks that Friday after Thanksgiving Thursday, and then Brooklyn that Saturday night. The next game is at home Tuesday against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yep, national uh, TV. November twenty eighth, national TV. Final game of Miami's group stage play of the in season tournament. Also, and so I think and, pl- that there could and, be and a playing against a, a certain there. somebody, playing against a certain somebody that For Tyler might want to play. Yeah, yeah, that Tyler might want to play well against. That's yeah. what I'm. That's what I'm circling. Yeah, that makes sense as as a date to look at. And of course, look an at any of one. these things. Exactly, that's an optimistic look at it. Um, I think the Heat will be fortunate. Honestly, just the fact that he could be back even in a month, like, mm-hmm. is I think good news in the grand scheme, considering what it looked like. Especially because Tyler has been, arguably, you know, Bam's been pretty great the last couple of games. But Tyler has arguably been, through, you know, this many games of the season, the Heat's best player. He's had the best start of his career. Um, there there was a point where, uh, I think it was through five, couldn't have been five games. But it was, there was a point where, I think through six games, it was... Tyler Hero, this is a Dwayne Wade. Thing. No, yeah. it was the it was Tyler Hero, Nikola Jokic, and Luka Doncic who had who had compiled 150 points, 30 rebounds, and 30 assists oh, right. in the NBA to that point in the season. There's also, I believe, it was through six or seven games. It was LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Tyler Hero in terms of the most points scored in Heat history to start a season. Like he has yeah. been on a tear to start this year. And that comes after an offseason full of trade rumors where can only imagine what that was like um, emotionally for Tyler. You did some awesome reporting in The Ringer. For those who haven't uh, read the article, you should go back and find it. Um, on the moment that Tyler found out Damian Lillard had been traded to the Bucks, which is he was sitting at lunch with Eric Spolstra. So given the reporting that you did, um, given the circumstances of this offseason, what are your thoughts? views on Tyler's start to the season, the sort of evolution you've seen from him as a player on the court, and, you know, the mentality he's had to have to be able to have this type of impact on the team. I mean, this is a guy who's been in trade rumors for at least two summers now in a row. Gosh, and, it feels like his uh, whole career. It really does, right? And so he's just used to the noise at this point. And even to call it noise, I don't think is really fair. It was real. Like, these trade discussions happened. And mm-hmm. this isn't some sort of, like, media narrative that they're just putting out there or Twitter rumors like that's not what's going on here. And so that's a really tough position for a young player to be in is, yeah, your team kind of tried to trade you for all time great players like Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, but you were in the trade packages. Right. And so um, I, I think there's an understanding there. I even asked Tyler Heroes like people say like, hey, it's almost a compliment that you're included in deals for like KD or Damian Lillard. And he goes, that's one way to look at it and just sort of laughed it off. Like right. that's what this guy thinks. He's like, I don't care about these compliments. I care about me. I care about doing what I want to do. And I think I could be in multiple times uh, telling you, like, what was it? Two years ago. I, I'm in the conversation with these guys telling me kind of one, a similar thing where he yep. said, I could be one of the, I could be the best scorer in the NBA. And he really believes it. And I think coming into this year, there's a maturity to him. And I, you know what? I hate that word. Um, He's just kind of got this degaff attitude, right? He's honestly, he's just, I don't, I don't really care. And I'm going to, I'm just going to play my game and I'm going to do it. And he's really figured it out. And the thing with Tyler Hero, he's got such a high feel for the game that I think is really unappreciated by people that might not watch him closely. Mm. Um, He's got great feel for the game and it's getting better all the time. 
and he's patient now and he's stronger now and he's getting to his spots and he's making winning plays and he's figuring out his voice. You know, he's figuring out his voice offensively, but he's figuring out his voice defensively. Hey, I'm a guy that can jump passing lanes. He's averaging twice as many steals as he ever has in his career right, right now. Um, he's figuring out what it is that may, that that how he can make winning plays. And that's a really hard thing to do. And I think you have to have a certain mindset to do that. And I think he's gotten there. I think what's 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 beautiful to see is a level of confidence, but in control, mm-hmm. um, because I think there's so many players that when you talk about irrational confidence that needs to be there to be a successful NBA player, like you need to be a bit irrationally confident. But there's so many guys, particularly scorers, who are irrationally confident in a way that's not uh, within control, that allows them to play outside of who they actually are as a player. Mm -hmm. And Tyler seems to be in a really wonderful place of playing with a level of confidence that allows him to both offensively and defensively get to the spots that he needs to be. You talk about him getting into passing lanes that that takes a level of confidence to take the risk to jump into those passing lanes, especially when your reputation is, quote unquote, not a good defender. But. He's also not doing too much. I think it was exemplified by the game against the Wizards where he, you know, came an assist shy of a triple double and it just looked like he was in so much control. And Amy Otterbert again said, like, it looked like the game is finally slowed down for him in a way, particularly as a playmaker, that's been really fun to watch. The NBA is all about balance. Whether Mm -hmm. you're a star player or a role player, the NBA is about balance. And the players who strike that balance that is appropriate for the role that they are in Mm -hmm. are the players that have the most success. The most, to me, for my money, the players who are able to balance, it's time to me to get my own shot or get my teammates involved have been LeBron James and Steph Curry over the last, you know, of of this century, basically. Nobody's been better than those two guys. Uh, Tyler Hero is figuring out his balance. When do I go for, to jump in this passing lane to go for the steal? Or when do I just... Uh, stand in my spot and just stay between my the, the scorer and the basket. Uh, when do I look to get myself involved and, and kind of rise up for a mid-range shot that might not be the most efficient look? And when do I just keep the ball going and swing it in, in the motion of the offense? It's about balance, and it's really hard to find. And then when you have to deal with the kind of adversity that you've had to deal with as Tyler Hero, it forces you to get better and to find that balance, to find your place on the team. There are players who live in relative luxury in the NBA, where they're just awesomely talented scorers on really awesome teams, and they're never forced to be like the you said, you know, Tyler Hero arguably is the best player. I think he's easily, inarguably, the most important offensive player this season. Oh, certainly. Where, certainly. And so, there's not a lot of players his age with his skill level that are forced to be that for a championship contending team, yep. right? I think, for example, Jordan Poole lived a life of luxury for a while. That first year was a little rough for him, and so all this is very relative. But he was able to just kind of be a, a cherry on the, the cake score with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Steve mm-hmm. Kerr's team, and all that. Where now in Washington, you're kind of seeing him kind of be a little silly and yeah. not know the balance, right, going on with the Wizards. And now that he's thrust into that role, and so I think with Tyler having that adversity has really kind of forced him to develop that balance and that control that a lot of players are never forced to have. I think that's a, it's a really great point. And to put this guy who, by the way, is still only 23 years old, like yeah. it feels like he's been around forever. But to take this 23-year-old and put him on a team where Bam Adebayo was the captain and Jimmy Butler is the superstar that 
through the last several postseasons has been the one to lead to come into this season and essentially have everyone know on the other teams, on your team, really the offensive lift is going to go through you in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. where you're going to need to be a primary playmaker as Kyle Lowry ages, although man, he stepped up in a big way uh, against Memphis and he's going to need to going forward. But Tyler Hero needs to be a primary playmaker. He needs to be probably the leading scorer on this team for them to have yes. a lot of success. Absolutely. And that's a a heavy burden to carry, particularly after spending an offseason wondering whether or not the franchise even wants you there. So, And the expectations re- being like, hey, we were probably going to start this season with Damian Lillard and not right. Tyler Hero. And those expectations on the outside are sort of thrust upon Hero as, hey, you got to now be Damian Lillard because they couldn't trade you for Damian Lillard, right. which those expectations are totally unfair. Completely. But if he could be, the, the Heat's offense just sort of needs a head of the snake. And and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and I asked I talked to Eric Spolster about this. I don't even remember if this quote was in the story, but he said I asked him point blank. I was like, does Tyler just need to be the head of the snake of this offense? Mm-hmm. And he said I, he wouldn't go so far as to say that, but he did say like everybody on the team realizes like what you just said, Jeremy, about like hey the offensive like he's the one that lifts, he's the yep. one that that pushes the ceiling up. Everybody sort of understands that he needs to be that for them. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how he's able to rebound from this injury and get back into that place because he has been that through this first part of the season. And so now is the obvious question. How do the Heat go about replacing some of Tyler Hero's production? And obviously, it's incredibly difficult because there is no one on this basketball team that is Tyler Hero. Um, They're going to need to get creative in the way that they do it. My initial thought, and it, it seems potentially very silly, but is to add guys, actually front court players in Nikola Jovic and even Kevin Love back to this rotation as guys that can stretch the floor. Jovic is in, in some capacities a, a playmaker that can make plays as as a big man. In we saw it over the summer and and he's obviously still sort of raw. He would be in the rotation if he was, you know, really able to make that lift at the moment. I'm sure if it was up to Eric Spolster, there would have been a little more time to get some seasoning on him. But how? How how <laughs> does this team go about replacing Tyler Hero in, in your mind over the, yeah. the next several weeks? Well, a couple of stats just to sort of illustrate what it is that they're exactly trying to replace here. Uh, Miami's, off, like, Miami's offense wasn't lighten scoreboards up in the first place, even with Tyler Hero. Right. Let's be real about that. They were bottom 10 offense uh, prior to last night. But um, offensive rating with Tyler Hero on the court was 111.2. That would rank 15th in the NBA right now. When Tyler Hero is off the court, they're scoring 96 points per 100 possessions. That's dead last. Not just dead last Oof. this year. It would be dead last since 2016. That is oh my God. a very, very bad offense. Uh, that's what we're looking at. And I don't know that when you look at it that way, that anybody is really, it's going to be on a lot of people to replace Tyler Hero. Um, The first guy I think of is Jimmy Butler. He got off to a slow start of the season, no reps in preseason, all this stuff. He's looked better the last two games. Mm -hmm. If he could just sort of be the head of the snake the way that he was in the playoffs, right? Then we start to get, right now he's got a 23% usage rating. It's the lowest he's had since joining the Miami Heat. Uh, if he could be closer to like 26%, which is where he's been, or like 33%, which is what he was against the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs last year, that's a real good way to replace some of the Tyler Hero stuff. It's also on Bam. I think both of those guys, Jimmy and Bam, have to take, to, to take and make more three-pointers. Yeah, I mean, those two guys have to be the stars that they are, essentially. And, and, and 
I don't think they need. Don't overthink it. Just put them to put those two in pick and roll together, and just let put your best two players in a two man game, and just let them go to work. And mm-hmm. I think there will be a lot of that. I think there will be a lot of Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry pick and roll. We've mm-hmm. seen a bunch of that earlier in the season. I think they'll lean into that a little bit more. I also look at a guy like Duncan Robinson. Yep. Who I don't. I know everybody, in, including uh, Spolstra, is like, yeah, you know, this development with the two-point game and the layups has been, like, really good. And I, I think it's fine. I actually like when he just takes the threes more. <laughs> I think he's maybe kind of showing off a little bit with the two-point shot in sure. the passing. I was like, I kind of like when you just take the threes. Like, that's the more important thing that you do. Right. But, right, and so I've sort of been trying to, like, put the reins on him, you know, mm. on, on, on Lockdown Heat. I've been saying, like, stop. Just shoot more. Of the, like, do the threes. Like, enough. I get it. You can make a layup. Congrats. But now I'm sort of like, just let the Bronco buck. Like, yeah. go wild, dude. Yeah, Out, dude. Just you're you're free reign. Do whatever you want. Because what they're what they need to replace in Tyler Hero is the multi level scoring, mm-hmm. right? And Duncan Robinson has shown some 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 chemistry with Bam Adebayo in terms of him passing to Bam in the pick and roll. Obviously, you're not going to have the Tyler Bam pick and roll that's basically been the focal point of the offense anymore, at least for for about a few weeks, a couple weeks here. So just let Duncan do his best version of that. He's averaging like nine and a half uh, shot attempts a game. That needs to probably be closer to 14, 15. Yeah. And if you're getting more shot attempts from Jimmy Butler, that's probably the easiest way. The, the one mistake I think people make when they're saying, okay, how do we replace this guy and the whole next man up mentality? The problem with the next man up mentality is the the next men aren't as good as the guy that you're trying to replace. Well, And, and, right? and, and not so, the same package. Like they, they don't the have players. the same skills. You got to it, – it, it, the reason you get star players is because star players can carry a heavier load. And instead of next man up, I think it's the first guy just do more. Mm. Right. And it's now it, it's up to Jimmy. It's up to, to Bam first and foremost. And I think Duncan can actually do a little bit more than what he's been allowed to do in this offense so far. And so you can expand his role a little bit more. But I'll, I'll say it again. Don't overcomplicate this. It's Jimmy and it's Bam. Let those two guys go to work for a couple of weeks. No, I think that it's a great point. And I think that that so many folks honestly look at what Jimmy Butler normally does in the regular season, which is sort of ramp up throughout the year and get himself to the space where come the postseason he's ready to go and they automatically assume that he's just gonna stay in that mindset right now even with tyler hero out and so they go all right well then who else is gonna have to step up and you know what does jaime hawkins jr have to do and you know let's get jovich and love as i just mentioned into the rotation and you know how does it change when realistically Jimmy Butler can just raise his usage rate, Bam Adebayo can continue to perform the way that he has over the last several games, and you can survive a few weeks, which is why that diagnosis was so important yeah. to know that this isn't going to be a a long term injury. Um, and it's not as if Jimmy Butler always like starts off this slow. No. This is the slow. He averaged through six games last year, twenty two point seven points per game on fifty percent shooting. If they right. that that was him coming out of the gate. It's not like this guy just sleepwalks through the regular season. Not at all. He's more than capable of doing stuff, and the Heat need him to do it. Absolutely. Well, and let's let's talk about Bam for a minute, because the last couple of games have been really special to watch. He had the first, and I'm not going to go back and say that this is 19 rebounds. He had the first 20-20-10 game in, in Heat history, 22 points, 20 rebounds, okay, NBA, and 10 assists uh, against the Los Angeles Lakers in a win over the Lakers, a one-point win that was, God, a blast to watch. Um, and then... He follows that up with 30 points and 11 rebounds going up against Jaron Jackson Jr., the deep boy uh, in Memphis. And those games are always really fun watching Bam and Jaron Jackson go against each other. Um, 
this level of of assertiveness from Bam offensively, you know, he's the captain of this team now, which I think means something really special to him, knowing the way he was molded by Udonis Haslam and the respect that he has there. What about Bam's performance to start this season stands out to you in a way where you're saying, all right, this is yet another step in the 26-year-old's game? Uh, it's the aggressiveness getting to the to the basket. Um, I love the mid-range stuff from last year, that foul line jumper that was basically new for last year. He developed mm-hmm. that foul line jumper in part uh, because he needed to shoot over Anthony Davis, Brooke Lopez, Joel Embiid, yep. Jaron Jackson Jr. Because he wasn't he wasn't as big as those guys, and he had to figure out a way to just score in the paint. And so, that's well, when they did. were playing drop defense against him in the playoffs against Milwaukee, it was it was a major mental hurdle to get over, let alone the physical hurdle of it. The problem with that shot is even if you shoot that at a 50% clip, it's not an efficient shot. You can't base your entire offense out of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I say I use this uh, uh, metaphor all the time, but if you have a whole team shooting 50% from mid-range for an entire game, so basically you just have five Michael Jordans. That's mm-hmm. essentially what you have. You would have the worst offense in the league, right? By offensive rating, that's a hundred. That's an offensive rating of 100, and that's with five Michael Jordans just letting it peak. Michael Jordans letting it rain from mid-range all game. It's not an efficient shot, no matter how you shoot it. Right. And so you need to either supplement that with three-pointers at a high enough clip or, even better, shots right at the basket. Because elite for mid-range is 50%. Elite at the basket is like 65 70%. Mm. And now, all of a sudden, you're getting a lot more of those two-pointers to fall. So Bam Adebayo developed that foul line jumper, and now people are countering it. They're not giving, They're not playing drop as much, to your point. Now they're coming up against him a little bit more to contest. And now what he's doing is he's using one or two more dribbles, a jab step, or just straight up, hey, here's my shoulder. Like, right it. Like, saw a here. lot of that, a lot of that against Memphis. A lot of it against Memphis, a lot of it against the Lakers. And that physicality, that increased physicality, now, like, Bam isn't, floating away from size anymore even those foul line jumpers before he would sort of float away and lose a foot or two on that jumper what was a 13 footer kind of became a 15 footer 15 footer to a 17 footer and become less and less efficient as you move out now these 15 footers are becoming 13 footers these 13 footers are becoming 10 footers these 10 Mm -hmm. footers are at the basket now and the efficiency starts to climb and i think that's the biggest part about bam Adebayo's game is a guy who two years ago straight up was a finesse player and just looked uh, tentative to go out those big guys, quite the opposite. He looks eager to go out these big guys. Right. He loves the challenge of going up against Anthony Davis and Jaron Jackson Jr. Now it is a complete transformation. I if I implore if if you're a deep dive Heat fan here, look at clips from two years ago, Bam facing these players, and look at what he's done over this last week. It looks like a completely different player. Well, and this is a guy who now shot 16 free throws against Memphis. Like, the ability to... And it's crazy because he was, in some ways, a finesse player. And and to watch the way that it started, right? Because when he first came into the league as the backup center to Hassan Whiteside, essentially his entire offense was just catching alley-oops from Dwayne Wade. Like, Mm -hmm. that felt like that was all that was in his offensive bag. And it's so wild to, to, to watch someone like this. And it's such a testament to what the Heat do with their coaching staff and their playing development. Really, each and every year, he improves his game, offensively and defensively. And yeah, I know, I believe it's Daryl Morey who, who said it, where it's like, by year three, you know exactly what a player is. And Bam is such a testament to that is just not true. Yeah. To, to the fact that he is a completely evolved specimen from where he was to start his career. And two other guys who, who sort of now fit into that. 
you have Jaime Hawkins Jr., the rookie, who came up with the huge clutch shot against Memphis on Wednesday night, who is a pretty complete rookie. That's in large part because he is only a year younger than Tyler Hero. <laughs> and then you have Haywood Highsmith, who is now, and I, I said it on my first broadcast of the year against the Wizards, he's going to be the guy that at the end of the year in May, when the Heat are in the playoffs, that everyone around the country who hasn't been watching them goes, God, they did that again? Like, they did it again? Because he is such an important player to this team, and it's been fun to watch him enter the starting lineup. Um, simply for time purposes, because I don't want to keep you here forever, I'm going to ask you to pick which one of those guys you'd like to highlight here, as they're probably going to be two huge impact players for this team, not just over the next several weeks without Tyler Hero in the lineup, but long-term as this team heads toward hopefully a, another postseason run. I'm so excited to watch what Jaime becomes, but I'm going to choose to talk about Haywood Highsmith. Mm -hmm. um, he's been here now. This is his third year. And uh, this is a guy whose role model was P.J. Tucker. That's been out there quite a bit. Right. Uh, but he made a play against the Grizzlies where he um, he ends up in the he's in the far right corner and he comes up. Grabs a uh, grabs the pass from Kyle Lowry, then pitches it back to Lowry in sort of like a a, a fast dribble handoff type situation, and then Lowry uh, is off to the right wing above the break, and then Highsmith turns around, puts his butt into the Grizzlies defender, and Lowry has a wide open three pointer. Mm -hmm. The reason I bring that up in reference to PJ Tucker is that's the most PJ Tuckeriest play he's ever made, <laughs> and it I was like that's it. Yep, that's it. He's the starting power forward for this team, six foot five on a good day, seven foot wingspan. And the other part, and, and we know this because we get to see these guys in the locker room and in practice, but his frame up close is also transformed from three mm -hmm. years ago. Three Big years ago, time. string bean. Now, dude is chiseled. He looks like mm -hmm. Jimmy Butler with his shirt off. Like, yeah. not even kidding. And it's that strength now is evident in his game, and the confidence that he's playing with is, is evidence. Uh, the Heat told him, hey, for a month, go work out with Duncan Robinson. Uh, for that three-point shot, because that's the only thing he he was making 33% of his threes last year. They said that needs to be a lot better, especially from the corners. Even if you just by osmosis get a little bit better, just yeah. being around Duncan for yeah. a month, it'll be an improvement. And I think what we've seen is a confidence level with him. He let it go from like 34 feet the other day, and obviously he missed it. He has no business taking that shot. But I was like, take it. Yeah. Great. I love the confidence. I'm all in, you know? And so... Uh, he's he's playing with a, uh, an increased amount of confidence, and I think that always translated to his game. Mm -hmm. I would, even last year, I would be like, if he does something right in the first two minutes, he has a great game. Yep. If he doesn't do anything for the first two minutes, he kind of will float away and disappear. And now that's not necessarily the case. He's playing with an up uh, an uplift in confidence, and uh, that that whole PJ Tucker dream is starting to become a reality here. And I think it's going to be huge, and it's already been huge. And I think just going forward, it's going to be huge for Miami because. Uh, he is a legit defender. He's already one of their best three or four defenders. Uh, and if you pair that with making threes and an efficient clip, I mean, we saw what they did with P.J. Tucker, right? They got the number one seed in the East. I'm not going to go ahead and predict that this year, but it just we see how impactful that kind of player can be for this lineup. Especially because when you talk about his shot, I mean, literally physically looking at his three-point shot, aesthetically, it looks completely he, different. It just looks completely yeah. different. And to watch the Heat build that shot into something that looks like it is sustainable is huge. And, you know, not to mention, the Heat eventually, and it, it came earlier than anticipated in large part because Kevin Love got hurt and was removed from the starting lineup. But I think we all knew eventually someone else was going to start at the four. 
But I think a lot of people anticipated that that would be Caleb Martin. And so now with Haywood Highsmith in that starting lineup, not only does it take the pressure off of Caleb Martin when he first comes back into the lineup coming off of this injury where you can kind of ease him in in a way that you wouldn't have been able to if you did not find this solution so early in the season, but it makes your bench so much better in being able to make Caleb Martin a part of that and come off the bench with Caleb Martin to go along with Jaime and and whoever else is a part of that bench rotation, Thomas Bryant, etc. Duncan Robinson. It is a a a huge deal for Miami to have mm-hmm. that level of versatility. And Eric Spolster talked about it before the season. Depth should be the strength of this team. When they are fully healthy and you can have Haywood as that starting power forward. And the thing I can't wait for is when the closing lineup is Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, Haywood Highsmith, and Caleb Martin. That yeah. is a dream. <laughs> it's just going to be, I think that's going to be a tremendous closing lineup. I think that's going to be a, a team that is outrageously competitive. And hopefully at some point, this team can be fully healthy. I know there's plenty of reason to believe, given the age of some of the players, given what's already happened here with Tyler Hero, that who knows? Maybe that doesn't happen at all. But we also saw last year a team finally get healthy and hot at the right time, and all they needed was to get to the postseason to feel good. I'll ask you now, and this is the final question, just sort of your prognosis of how you imagine this eight of the next nine on the road going for Miami. Obviously a very difficult stretch to play this many games on the road. I think it's eight of the next nine, but it's something like 17 of 21 or something crazy like that, where so much of the road schedule gets out of the way early in this season. I know that in large part because us sideline reporters aren't on the road. So <laughs> we all don't have work for a little bit. I, I, what What are your thoughts on eight yeah. of the next nine on the road and, and sort of your prognosis for the Heat without Tyler Hero? I'm starting to call it a nine-game trip because that yeah. one in the middle is against Brooklyn at home. You're home for 48 hours. Like, that's not even... That's not even really a home. Right. It's almost like just just traveling to Atlanta or. Right. Exactly. We're just traveling back to Miami for another game and then we're back on the road. It's it's the same kind of thing. So this is like nine road games for this team. Like the only benefit is being able to repack your bags, get some fresh clothes that see see your kids, see your wives. and and Which matters. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. A little uplift in the middle of the trip. (laughs) But um, look, I think with Tyler Hero out and by the way, two of these are back to back sets. Mm -hmm. So you almost have scheduled losses built into this thing. Yep. I'm going to be honest, if they can go three and six over the next nine, I think that might be a win. Hmm. Four and five, I would come out of this extremely happy for the Heat. Like, it, that's sort of where I'm at now. But more than even the wins and the losses, I just think that you need to see a better offense. You got to mm-hmm. see Jimmy Butler continue to turn the corner because it looks like he's starting to. Bam Adebayo playing basically this. Um, Maybe we'll get a timeline on Caleb Martin sometime soon. But if Haywood Highsmith, Jaime High, if all these guys could do the right things and Duncan Robinson can flourish and all these things, that to me is more important so that when Tyler Hero does come back, you're looking at an offense that's not going to be ranked 25th in offensive rating anymore. Right. It could climb to something closer to league average. And a defense that does have its feet under itself a little bit more and can reclaim its spot as a top 10 defense in the league. That is sort of more of what I'm looking at at this stage in the season. That is a huge part of this team is just going to be watching the development of players and the chemistry of this rotation come together. No different than last year where you have to to see the right players succeed. I mean, it is so funny, the the replication in, in terms of some of that. And if you do look at these games, you're in Atlanta, in San Antonio, in Charlotte, back home against Brooklyn, Chicago, Chicago, Cleveland, New York, Brooklyn. 
That's how it shakes out over the next several games. Uh, You can watch it all on Bally Sports. Hey, there's a plug for everybody. Uh, Watch on the Bally Sports app, ballysports.com. You guys know the drill. Uh, Wes Goldberg, uh, tell the people where they can follow you, what work um, you'd like to plug here before we get going. Uh, We'll keep it all in the podcast universe. If you just want daily Miami Heat content, check out Locked on Heat, YouTube, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. That's the place to go. Do it. All right. Go to go to Locked on Heat, and then you'll find out everything about his social media beyond that. Wes Goldberg, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today, man. This was an absolute blast. Thanks, man.